Wow, we've heard some really rich uh, encouragement today from Psalm 37. And, um, and you know, I, I'm just like, oh, she said that. Okay, I don't have to say that. Oh, she said that. Okay. Uh, so, so my notes are kind of um, pared down, which is good for you. Because um, sometimes, sometimes I, it's, it's what to edit down that I have a hard time um, determining. But my name is Denise Colazzo, as Brie um, so generously introduced me. We were laughing because I said, please don't name drop, because that's like a lot of weight, you know, on someone's shoulder. I was 19 when, uh, when I mentored Jenny. <laughs> Can a 19-year-old be a mentor? To someone who's a few years younger. No, my husband is a youth pastor here at that time. And actually, there may be some some girls here that were in the youth group at that time that it's it's wonderful to see um, have grown up into beautiful, godly young ladies with now a lot of them have husbands and families of their own. And it's just incredible to see that. Um, but yeah, so I do know Jenny and, and love her. And it's been so... Um, beautiful to watch how God has used her and her family and her husband um, just to speak to, I mean, people around the country, but beyond even um, around the world. And um, to be like, you know, a little dot or, you know, to be able to name drop and say, hey, when I was 19, I knew her, you know. It's, it's just fun. And I think that it speaks into our passage today because um, David, you know, he's, he's the author of this psalm and he, he's telling this next generation, like, you can trust God. And why can you trust God? Because he's faithful. And, I, and like Bree said, it's not just me saying this in theory or philosophically, but I've lived it and I've seen it in, in my life. And I just think that's sometimes, well, there's a scripture in Revelations that talks about that we'll overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And I think those two things, those are the power of the gospel, not just the blood of the lamb that is the gospel, essentially, um, Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, that's powerful, but it's that, the blood and Jesus' work on the cross lived out in our lives and proven over and over and over again that is again that's how we overcome in revelations it says that so i wasn't planning on going there but um i did so uh a little bit about myself um i am from monterey after 20 years or so we um after manny and i got married we moved around the country for ministry, and about a year ago, we moved back. Um, we've got two boys. They're grown and doing the whole adult thing, and we're so proud of them. One of them is a firefighter down in Tulare County, and the other is in San Francisco. He works for the Federal Reserve, just graduated from college and got picked up by them. And um, I, Those of you with teenagers, I'll just say, you survive. And they figure it out. So uh, we're very proud of them and excited in this new phase of 
parenting and life as empty nesters and such. Um, and we're excited to be back here in Monterey because, as I said, this is my hometown, but this is also my home church. And although it's changed over the last 20 years, it's changed in such a wonderful way. And it's so sweet to see familiar faces from way back in the day and then all of the new people that have um, come along during that time and that are here today. So welcome and we're glad you're here. And I'm excited. Um, I wanted to start with a little personal story. Well, let me pray first. Lord, I pray that you would give me the words to say and help me to shut my mouth with what you don't want me to say. And thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the words that have been spoken already and what rich, rich encouragement we've received. Um, just Lord, of how good you are and how wonderful it is to trust in you and that we can rest in that. And no matter what the world throws at us, God, that you are faithful and dependable and you, you win. We know the end. Father, would you calm our hearts? Would you speak to us this one last session and this, let all of this sink deep down into our hearts that, so that we can walk away changed? In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. So a little bit about myself. Um, about six years ago, so Manny and I got married 25 years ago and jumped right into ministry. He was already in ministry when we got married, so I knew what I was getting into but I really didn't. Um, and so all that time we were in ministry. And six years ago, my world just kind of got rocked. Um, without going into details over the nitty gritty of stuff, it was just a challenging season in my life. There was this cloud of disillusionment, disappointment, and a sense of hopelessness that had originated from a series of conflicts that were happening in the ministry we were involved in at the time. And although I wasn't directly involved in those conflicts, um, I was close enough to see the inner workings of it and just how ugly church people <laughs> can be when they are not following God. And there was this initial shock because we see in the in the passage today in Psalms like there's like the evil and the good. But what about that gray area when you think the good, sh <laughs> the good are acting evil, <laughs> and you can't the line's not so clear. <laughs> so I was kind of in this funk six years ago where I was like, God, what is going on? And I, I just I can't see how you're going to work this out and. You know, those people that say that they're your people, I think you just need to spank them because they're sure not acting like it, like they're out of line. And it was during this time that I just, after the shock of like, what? God's people can act this way? Um, then it just kind of turned into this lingering distance and doubt and just kind of a funk. And um, I, it was like I... I would do, I'd go through the motions, but just, ah, that's, there's not a lot of words, just, ah, that's kind of how I felt. At that time, I went out to lunch with a friend. Her name was Margaret, and I have to tell you about Margaret. She is a sweet, sassy, and sharp 
sharp woman. She's almost 90 years old, but she is still, she's got a lot of life in her. And um, her nickname is OG. I know, I know. You think original gangsta, which would totally fit her, but it actually stands for old grandma. And she prefers people to call her old grandma. Like that's just the sweet term of endearment. And um, so her nickname, OG. I was out to lunch with OG. And she was a missionary for many years as an adult with her husband. And then later they came back to the States, a missionary in Ecuador. And then later they came back into the States and were serving at various churches around the country. So she had this long, long, long life of ministry and seeing God's faithfulness. But at this time at lunch, it was like, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with this internal struggle and not really wanting to go there with her. And so I'm deflecting and I'm like, well, why don't you just just tell me about your experience in ministry. Share some stories with me. You know, and I love stories. Um, if we spend any time together, most likely I'm going to be asking you questions. And tell me about your life. How did you do this? And I, I'm, I'm like one of these people that just, I want to give me more information. Uh, Brie talked about Enneagram. Um, I just found out I'm, I'm late to the party as far as Enneagram stuff goes. And again, it's just a tool, whatever. I don't, I'm not, it's not, it's not the gospel, but I'm an Enneagram five, which is an investigator. So I, I am a questioner. I like this information. Please tell me more about yourself. So I like stories too. Um, so in order to deflect in this time that I'm like, ugh, going through stuff and not really trusting God and just disillusioned by all this stuff. And so I asked her to tell me some stories. And so she did. She told me story after story after story about her time in ministry, her time as a mom and a wife. And the end of every story that she told me was that God was faithful. And the sweet thing about that time for me was that although my heart was just in a place of being hardened and just skeptical of anything when you talk about God or ministry or um, that there was this change that started to happen as she was sharing these stories and it was just a little question in the back of my mind and it was Denise if God can do that for OG do you think maybe he could do that for you? Just a little question. And, and that was just the, the seed planted in the moment of, of kind of finding my, my way back to faith and um, centering in on the gospel. So there's something to be said about hearing someone else's story and being reminded that we have something in common, our common humanity. And that common humanity means that if God can do it for you, then maybe he can do it for me. And I say maybe because that's where I was at at the time. Um, and 
I got to kind of borrow in that moment the faith of OG because she had seen and experienced and I just thought, wow, I want that. I want that. I want that to be the end of my story too. And so it was just a sweet, sweet moment. And I share that story about Margaret because that's what we have here in Psalm 37. David, after years, a lifetime of serving God, he said in verse 25, hey, to you next generation, I was young and now I'm old. And guess what? I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. You can count on God. You can trust him. And I love that. I love that we as believers can borrow the faith and the strength of our fellow believers. We can lock arms and say, I don't have it in me right now, but could you just just speak into me? Speak it into me right now. And that's what David's doing for us. And I'm going to be... We already talked about David's history. Tate did a great job of just kind of walking through, like, David, hey, he's credible. (laughs) So when you listen to him, um, yeah, he's he's got the history and the the testimony to to believe what he says when he says God's faithful. He was no stranger to the tension between the wicked and the godly, evil and good. And uh, I just my time here, I just want to take a brief time to um, wrap up this uh, section. It's verses 32 through 40. And before I do that, I just wanted to, I took notes from Christina and Tate and Bree's sections. And I just thought, let's, let's just kind of recap a little bit um, that Christina's section, her main point was that we can trust God because we know the end of the story. And not only that, that we know him, and knowing him more helps us trust him more. So that was my little snapshot of Christina's. And then Tate's section, I, I just put, God will conquer, well, she said good will conquer, conquer evil every time, but that God will conquer evil every time because God is good. He's the originator of it. He is the definition of it. So God will conquer evil every time, every single time. And then Bree's, okay, Bree, you are a a fireball. And I love, I loved each message. And it was so wonderful that um, Bree's section, I was like, okay, I I can't write fast enough. (laughs) So... Um, all of God's promises are ours because we trust Jesus. And then I have other chicken scratch I can't even read. Um, that was what I wrote down. <laughs> but before we get into these uh, verses, so, so we see knowing the end of the story is what helps us today. We know what the end is going to be like. So knowing the end of the story, knowing that God wins And I get the great verses that just basically sum it up to say, like, hey, guys, like, in this epic battle of good and evil, God is the hero. God's the hero in this story. I wanted to just beforehand, because I I said earlier, 
I kind of struggled with this whole good and evil thing because sometimes it can be muddy because the, the waters can be muddy because we want to have a straight, a black and white and a straight line between the middle and never, never cross over. I'm an accountant. Did I say that? Um, I like things to be black and white and I like things to fit and I like the balance sheet on the bottom. Uh, it's got a match. And, I, you know, so I, uh, when I see black, gray areas, um, it's a little confusing for me. It's uncomfortable. But I say that because I wanted to define these terms evil and wicked godly, righteous, and blameless that we see throughout this text in a little bit of a more like bird's eye view and super basic and like we don't need to dig in. But if we just keep it, this helps me to keep the difference, to know the difference. So evil or wicked are the running definition that I, I, I used for, for that sake is those who oppose God and his people. Though the godly, the righteous, the blameless, those who follow God, those who are moving in, in the direction of God, maybe imperfectly, but moving that direction. So if we keep it that, it, then, then the gray, you make room for the gray because it's not always clear which camp people are in. And they can change camps at any given moment, it seems. It seems sometimes. So... I'm in the NIV version, verse 32 through 40 says, The wicked lie in wait for the righteous, intent on putting them to death. But the Lord will not leave them in the power of the wicked or let them be condemned when brought to trial. Hope in the Lord. Keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are destroyed, you will see it. I've seen a wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a luxuriant native tree. But he soon passed away and was no more. Though I looked for him, he could not be found. Consider the blameless. Observe the upright. A future awaits those who seek peace, but all sinners will be destroyed. There will be no future for the wicked. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. In those verses, I see God as the hero, God as the savior. But there's other aspects of God that I see in there that I think are important for us as we navigate our journey and answer those questions about how do I live in the present time when I see this battle of evil versus good, wicked versus godly? How do I, how do I operate? navigate what perspective should I have and in verse 33 I think we have to start with God who is God and from there we say well if God if this is God then who am I in according to him and then if that's who I am then how do I live and so in verse 33 we're going to answer that question how is God the hero who is God Verse 33 says, but the Lord will not leave them in the power of the wicked or let them be condemned when brought to trial. The Lord will not leave them in the power of the wicked or let them be condemned when brought to trial. God in this verse is our present defender. 
He will never leave the godly. He's always with us. You guys have heard all those verses. I think Tate quoted some um, about how God is present. Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Jeremiah 1.19 says, They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you, and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. So if God is the present defender, that means he's here with us wherever we are, present, and he's our defender. It's pretty simple. So I have this thing. I like comedies. And I like really goofy comedies. So like Pink Panther with uh, Steve Martin. One of them, uh, I think it's Pink Panther, has Yuri the Trainer Who Trains. Does anyone remember this? Yuri the Trainer Who Trains? What does he do? He trains. So and I, I don't know why that quote always just makes me giggle, but I think, I, I'm not being irreverent here, but I think, Our action, and it's been alluded to, our actions are always born out of who we are, our identity. And that's for God, too. God is good, therefore he does good. We are his children, we reflect him, therefore we are good because of him, therefore we do good. We don't do good to show that we're his children. We don't do good to prove that we're good enough. We just, we are because God, we're his kids. So... Yuri the trainer who trains. (laughs) That's what I think in my mind. So God is our present defender. So he's here with us and he defends us. So what does that mean to us? God is always with us as our defenders. What that means for us is that our confidence, our security, our endurance are bolstered as a result of this. If I know that God is always with me, even in the times that I'm doubting, there's a confidence. God, I don't get this, but you're here. You do. Even when I feel condemned, maybe by outside or maybe it's internal that it's happening, I can be reminded that no, no, no. That's not true because what does God say? I'm your defender. You're, nothing, no accusation is going to stick because of what I've done for you, because of who I am and the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So God is our present defender. Then in verse 34, it says, hope in the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are destroyed, you will see it. Now, this one is not so explicit in terms of who God is. But let's unpack it for a moment. God is our benevolent father. How do I get that out of this scripture? Hope in the Lord and keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are destroyed, you will see it. How does that mean he's my benevolent father? Where does that, where am I getting that? Where is that connection being made? Well, we know that David is speaking to his audience who are, uh, fellow Israelites, this next generation, and inheritance was a big deal for them. 
In fact, like that's the whole basis of their relationship with God. God promises, I'm going to bring you into a new land that you're going to inherit, and it's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. I feel like we talked about this earlier today. Is that right? Did someone say that? This feels familiar. Yeah. So inheritance is all based upon, well, heritage, family, who you're related to, who's your daddy. Well, God, if he's the hero of this story in Psalm 37, but he's also the hero of the Bible, and the story is all about his work of redemption, bringing his family back together, and that idea of inheritance means your dad's done some planning. He's He's made a place for you. He's got your future planned out. He's, he's made sure to have the good things that you need to flourish available to you. So when it says, hope in the Lord, keep his way, he will exalt you to inherit the land. It's a, it's a whisper to, hey, you've got a good dad. He's got good plans for you. So... If God is the hero of this story in verse 37, what makes him a hero? He is a benevolent father. Romans 8 says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with your spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're God's children, then we're heirs. We have an inheritance. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also... Hey! Share in his glory. (laughs) My, My page cut off. So what does this mean for us? That we're children of God. We are part of his family. And if we're part of his family, then we should look like him, shouldn't we? So I said I'm from Monterey, and I uh, am from a family of five children, and um, our genes are really strong. Like, I started this new job a year ago and I walk into the office and I meet one of my coworkers, and she's looking at me with this puzzled look on her face and she says do you know a Sam Phillips and I'm like he's my brother (laughs) she's like spitting image I said I know you know why we did that face swap thing And, like, we just look like each other. Like, if I'm a man, I just look exactly like my brother. And if he does the face swap to, like, look like the female, like, we're twins. So we have strong genes. But it's not just our genetics that make us family. It's also, like, mannerisms, you know? Like, when you're around a family and you all see they do that one thing. Like, oh, they all laugh the same. Or, oh, they all, you know, they have that saying. Or they do that. Or they act this way. Um, so family, that's, that's one of the manners or things about family is you start to look like each other. So if we are God's children, 
Shouldn't we look kind of like him? Shouldn't we act kind of like him? God is the hero of this story. He is our present defender, and he is our benevolent father. He is also our eternal savior. In verses 37 through 40, it says, Consider the blameless and observe the upright. A future awaits for those who seek peace, but all sinners will be destroyed. There will be no future for the wicked. We see future said two times in these verses. For the blameless, they've got a big, long future. For the wicked, not so much. Then in 39, it says, The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. So God, we see this idea of eternity in Hey, you, my children, have a long, long future ahead of you, an eternal future ahead of you. But the wicked will be destroyed. And guess what? The reason it's eternal is because I've saved you. I am the Savior. So we see this characteristic of God played out. I mean, this is, this is like the story of the Bible. This is the bird's eye view of Christianity, is that we have an eternal Savior. Past, we see it in the, the Old Testament. We see it today, hopefully. And we know that it's our destiny, that he, that he saved, that he is continuing today to save us, and that he will ultimately save us when we are in heaven with him. It's, so this idea is woven into his, his character. In Titus 3, it says, let me see, it's verses 3 through 7. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become, again, here's this word, heirs of eternal life. So, these are the three things in this last passage, last section of scripture that I, I pulled out of um, those char- or characteristics of God that we see. These are the things that make him the hero of this story. That it's not the good that are the hero, or, or the good so much when it talks about the wicked and the good. Ultimately, because he is good, he's the, the hero of this story. And we reflect him, and therefore we share in that glory. When it talks about, where did we just see that? In one of these scriptures that we share in his glory. But it's because we're reflecting him. It's because of what he's done and finished. So I wanted to kind of land those three points, but... This one's just a bonus. I think it's because it's an, it wasn't fully formed as I was studying, but I think it's kind of been touched on that, that this passage is all about taking the long view. The long view of God's work, 
here on earth in our personal stories, but in the big story. And if we just look at moments in time, we don't, we don't necessarily see that. We can say, oh, maybe God's abandoned us. Maybe he's abandoned his people. Maybe, maybe evil can win or will win because it looks like it. And I, I just love going back to the point that, that um, I'm looking at you. Christina, <laughs> what time is it? <laughs> after after forty three, I get these. Uh, well, these brain. My children call them brain farts. So, <laughs> what Christina was saying about we uh, we can be confident today because we know the end of the story. Um, I don't know if, if any of you have had the opportunity to read um, Mike Casey's uh, his uh, book that he wrote and his story, his uh, part of his story, because it's still being written. Um, that was, we read that and then met with them for dinner and we're like, oh my gosh. Every chapter we were like, what? Can it get any worse? And And I was like, I know the guy now, so I know how the story ends, but I'm like, every chapter I was like, I don't know if I could read another chapter because it's like, it's just, it's just hard to read. But we knew the end of the story, so we kept going because we're like, we know, we know it's going to get good. It's going to get good. And it did. And then we got to have dinner with them and we were like, that was so awesome. And then here, the next chapter of what God's doing in their lives. But that's kind of how it goes where we, if we look at the one portion that we're in right now, it's just a chapter, maybe just a page or a sentence. But if we take the long view, then we know God wins. And by proxy, we win because we're his. We're in his family. We get to, we're heirs to that inheritance. So... I'm going to end with that because I know today's been a long day and we've got a lot to process. And I would rather do that in prayer than me continuing to speak. So what we're going to do right now is gather in groups of five to seven or the groups that you were in before. Um, one, I'm sure you guys already have the hang of this by now because we've been doing this with our discussion groups and such. But um, let's gather in groups really quick and then we're going to walk through just a time of prayer to take all these things that we've learned today and just pray them in so we're going to walk through and 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 that uh worship and adoration of god we're going to think look in your notes and all of the attributes of god that we've seen the promises of god that we've seen and those promises are because of who he is we're going to just take time to focus and and just pray those things in, and then we're going to take a time to realign our hearts and say, okay, if, if that's who you are, God, then what does that make, what does that make me? And, it, and if that's who I am, it just this realigning, and maybe there's some confession that needs to happen. Maybe there's some um, just reckoning that needs to happen, but we're going to do, so it's like, have you guys done the Acts thing, the Acts prayer? Okay, so it's it's A for adoration, C for confession, T for thanksgiving, and then S for supplication. So 
Confession would be the realigning our hearts, thanksgiving. That's where we say, since God is this, and that means I'm this, then, oh man, thank you. So that's where we we turn that into this prayer of thanksgiving. And then finally, at the end, we say, wow, God, if you're this, that makes me this, and I can be so thankful, then you know what? Our confidence is kind of built up, and now we feel like, God, Maybe I can present all of these things to you and say, can you work these things out? That's where we come to God with our requests, our supplication.